Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show is presented to you by Gaslowitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Adam Gaslowitz and Craig Frankel. And today we're talking about using state tax credits to reduce your income tax burden. Now it's time to introduce our guests. We're pleased to have with us today uh, Brian Sangson, manager at Bennett Thrasher, and Peter Stathopoulos, a partner at Bennett Thrasher. Before we get started, uh, why don't I have each of you just uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. So, uh, Brian, why don't you start? Yeah, sure. So, Brian Sangson, Bennett Thrasher. uh, specialized in credits and incentives since coming out of law school, so it's been the first thing I've been doing for quite some time. Uh, I guess you need to provide some contact information. You can find me on the Bennett Thrasher website, uh, Brian Sankson, within our state and local tax group. Okay. And, ju- and just so the audience is clear, Bennett Thrasher is, is an accounting and um, sort of a full-service accounting firm, right? That's correct. We have a, a number of specialty services, and within it, our state and local tax group has... Uh, I guess become a, a somewhat of a, a pseudo account, uh, law firm to a degree, right? Yeah, we got about eight lawyers in there. Yeah. Right. But Pete? you don't provide legal advice. We do not. We do not provide legal <laughs> okay. advice. If the state bar is listening, we do not. Do <laughs> yes. Okay, and Peter? Yeah, hey, it's uh, Peter Sothopoulos. I'm a partner at uh, Bennett Thrasher. I head up the entertainment practice. Uh, my background is came out of uh, big four uh, accounting firms, and then I was with uh, a couple of big law firms and been with Bennett Thrasher about 10 years. and. Uh, as Brian said, um, part of the state and local tax practice. Okay. And so why don't we start, uh, since the topic is tax credits, why don't we start with what is a tax credit for those in our audience who don't know? You want to take a stab at that? Yeah, sure. So tax credits are uh, a debit or credit against state income tax liability that states provide, usually to accomplish specific economic results or to incentivize some kind of activity. And so they're basically a rebate, discount, whatever you want to call it. You pay less tax as a result of a tax credit. Contrast it to a deduction. Because, you know, we heard a lot in the recent tax bill about how deductions are changing above the line, below the line, which I never really understood. But explain to our our listeners what the kind of the value of a credit is versus a deduction. Sure. That's a very good question. A credit is much more valuable than a deduction because a deduction is really only – applicable at whatever the effective tax rate is. So as an example, let's say you have a deduction for federal tax purposes, you're going to get a deduction equal to whatever your effective federal tax rate is. Let's say you're subject to the highest new federal tax rate of 37%. That means if I spend, uh, let's say, $100 and I get a deduction, I'm only going to be able to write off $37 of that $100. Mm-hmm. In contrast, a credit is a dollar-for-dollar reduction of my actual liability. So if my liability uh, to, let's say, the state of Georgia is $10,000 this year, and I have a $5,000 credit, that's a dollar-for-dollar reduction, I'm only going to pay 5000 in Georgia income taxes. Okay, where do I sign? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and, and just also so we're clear, difference between a state tax credit and a federal tax credit? Sure. So obviously we're a federalist system and there's different levels of taxes. Uh, each state is a sovereign tax jurisdiction in addition to the federal government. So each state uh, typically imposes its own taxes, most often some mix of income taxes, uh, corporate yeah, business taxes, sales and use taxes, property taxes. So uh, most of the credits we're going to be talking about today apply against state income tax uh, liability. 
Okay. And is there a reason why someone would want to use a state tax credit versus a federal tax credit? Well, you normally want to claim both. Um, as I mean, there's as many available. credits as you can get. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Within reason. Yeah. Um, but from a from a state perspective, obviously, there a lot of states tend to be more aggressive in terms of providing different credits and incentives for to incentivize specific activity, as as Peter alluded to. You federal use, tends to be more generalized. You use the word credits and incentives. Is there a difference, or is that your way to describe that a credit is an incentive? So yeah. So we you typically refer to it as Credits and incentives because it may be an actual credit, uh, an actual credit, but within that you also have property tax abatements. I mean, there's there's a litany of other benefits that may not exactly be deemed as a credit, a below the line credit, uh, but it falls within the same sort of mechanism. So, for example, some states will flat out give you cold hard cash, not a reduction against your tax liability. That's an incentive. That's mm-hmm. not a credit. Hmm. Okay. G- give me an example of another incentive. <laughs> Out of curiosity, I mean, that's so I can understand. Yeah, sure. So Georgia, for instance, provides free uh, job training. So if I'm a foreign manufacturer and I come set up shop here, Georgia will uh, translate all the manuals from, let's say, German to English, and they will train all the workers. So that's obviously a benefit the state is giving me, but it's not a reduction of my tax liability. So it's an incentive, not a credit. Gotcha. All right. So let's talk about some specific state tax credits. Um, why don't you, uh, well, what's popular right now? I know the film credits, we talk about those a lot, so maybe that's a good one to start with. Yeah, yeah, sure, so film tax credits are hot, they're in the news a lot. Uh, it's been a great credit from my perspective since I head up the entertainment practice. So what, what this is, is back in, uh, if everybody remembers, I'll, I'll give the history of this thing. Back in the 70s, Georgia was kind of a film destination. For, for the older guys in the room, sorry, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were a series of films like uh, Sharky's Machine, uh, Smokey and the Bandit, Deliverance, that were filmed in I Georgia. actually saw Sharky, the, the, the final scene being filmed where they jumped from the At building. The, yeah, that was a great scene. But I thought it was true. Oh, I well. didn't realize it was a film. Well, hopefully you wow. enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Georgia had a lot of success as a, as a production destination, and then it, it, it started to wane because uh, – Uh, Other jurisdictions like Canada and other states like Louisiana began to come out with state credits, which were designed to incentivize uh, film and television production. So Georgia decided to really compete in this area in 2008. So Georgia passed a film uh, film tax credit. It's a credit that basically uh, where Georgia subsidizes up to 30% of the cost of a film or a television program or a television commercial or computer game. And uh, it's a transferable credit because most of the people that you needed to come here, or most of the companies you needed to come here to film, wouldn't have had a Georgia income tax liability. So if I'm Warner Brothers, I might not have much uh, Georgia income tax liability. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Is it <laughs> yeah, well, a tax credit for the film industry is great. How does that affect us? A- yeah. Exactly. So in order to incentivize these companies to come here, they had to make the credit transferable. And what that means is if I'm a, a film production company like Sony Pictures, I come here, make a movie, I've got this credit, I can't use it really because I don't have any Georgia income tax liability, so I can sell it to Coca-Cola or to Brian Sengson or one of you guys for a discount. So the typical discount on film tax credits, anywhere from nine to 12 cents. So what that means effectively is I cut a check to Warner Brothers, let's say, and uh, let's say my Georgia tax liability this year is $10,000. Instead of paying $10,000 to the state of Georgia, instead I cut a check to Warner Brothers for $8,000 to, to buy some of its credits. So I've now paid a $10,000 Georgia liability um, by paying $8,000 to Warner Brothers to purchase a film tax credit. Okay, so, you, so the person buying the credit is not getting a dollar-for-dollar dollar deduction based on its the amount it's paying for the credit. That's right. They're not getting. They're not getting a deduction. They're getting a dollar for dollar reduction of their tax liability. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so how else do these credits work? I mean, is that basically, you know, there's, a, there's a marketplace for them? And, and well, what is the marketplace? I mean, how does one go? So I, I've got $10,000 of tax liability, and I listen to this radio show, and I'd like to go buy a film tax credit and save, according to your example, $2,000, sure. which my children will promptly spend. <laughs> Where do I go to buy it? Sure. There's, uh, over the years, a very healthy <laughs> film tax credit market has developed. The float uh, last year was probably around four or five hundred million of film tax credits were transferred in Georgia, would be my best guess. So and, and, Georgia, and Georgia's not the only state that's doing this. There are other states. That's right. There are other states that have transferable credits. So, for instance, Louisiana has a transferable film tax credit. There, there's a couple other states that have these. So, uh, and they work very similarly. Massachusetts has a transferable film tax credit. So the way it works is um, typically you have to find somebody that's in the business of brokering these credits because most people don't have a contact at you know, uh, Disney that they can call to get the credits. So there are a series of brokers, uh, some of which are based here in Georgia, some of which are national. The easiest way usually is to contact your accountant. Most accountants, most accounting firms at this point have contacts that can uh, get to sellers of uh, film tax credits. And there are other transferable credits. So this is you know, one of the ones that, that is most, more interesting. A, a lot of people like getting a piece of a film. So you know, even though at the end of the day, you're, it's not like you were on the set, but you, know, you, buy a, 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 you contribute towards a film by buying these credits. It's a little more interesting to some people than Do you get your name on the credits in the film? In your head you do, yeah. Interesting. So, so you, own a piece of the, you, be, you own a piece of the Hunger Games. You own a piece of their tax You contributed in some way toward, well, in a very real way toward subsidizing that film. So yes, you, you helped produce that film in a sense. Brian, what are some other examples of transferable credits? Well, so the transferable credits is more <coughs> Peter's area. I, I specialize in more of the credits that uh, directly affect your income tax, but there's no market for them. So great examples are different states have uh, jobs tax credits. So to reward companies who shift their jobs or actually create hiring increases or the R&D tax credit is a very popular one. And these are credits that go to businesses and not to individuals? So they go to businesses. They mostly benefit, obviously, if it's a flow through, it'll go directly to the shareholders. And so that'll benefit them. But, with the but partners. closely held businesses are going to be the ones particularly who are Absolutely. And there's really no, so from the, like the R&D tax credit, I think that's a more of a, an industry agnostic credit, more than people realize. What, what, is, what is an R&D tax credit? Exactly. So from an R, so R&D, the way that the IRS defines it is, because you, you normally think people in lab coats and you have to be a specific type of industry, mm. that's not necessarily the case. And so generally, if you just have a technical uncertainty, you do a process of experimentation, and it's for some kind of technical qualified science. So anything that's engineering or as long as it's not something like that's like soft sciences so psychology or, or economics or the law or the law yeah very soft science with that uh, uh anything as long as it's not anything towards that it's going to potentially qualify as r d and so i i've had clients that you that are typical manufacturers software developers but also trading companies so a lot of the people that are actually developing software their own internal use software to minimize latency within uh, with actual Wait, stock so trading people developing software can get tax credits Oh yeah, absolutely. So there's and now and obviously Atlanta has a, a very large presence, notably for like SaaS companies, software as a service companies. Uh, but with the with the R and D tax credit, it's I've seen almost a food, the food industry. Uh, there are plenty of industries that are that should be taking uh, that should be taking these credits to advantage of them, but just they don't they don't think that they're R and D. And these credits are state or federal or both. 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 Now, not every single state has an R&D tax credit, but the majority do. I believe we're, we're up in the, like the 30s that are, have an, uh, a state R&D tax credit. 
some are more beneficial than others naturally. Are the credits going to be different from state to state? I mean, the same R&D tax credit in, uh, mm -hmm. in Virginia or California would be different than the one here? Yes, yeah, so it'll be very different. So a great example. So Georgia, I think, is, is one of the highlights because they're more taxpayer friendly with regards to their R&D tax credit. So they actually, from not only from a calculation standpoint, so on the federal side, give you an idea from an R&D credit, they're getting approximately six and a half to seven percent of their R&D expenditures. So that's usually what their credit is going to be on the federal side. Georgia can be upwards of 10 percent. And it's even and similar to a transferable credit, while it's not necessarily transferable, but there's an added benefit to it. So not only is it affecting your income tax credit, you can actually elect to use it against payroll withholding tax. So in essence, it's found money. So it becomes a refundable credit instead. Okay. Are there um, different caps on these credits? Uh, it, it's usually capped by your state income tax liability. So there will be carry forwards. And so if you, um, so if, if you have $100,000 in uh, Georgia tax and you have a $200,000 R&D tax credit, you're going to be able to wipe out that $100,000. It'll be subject to some limitations, but then there'll be a carry forward for 10, 15 years, depending upon the states. And I'm going to ask the same question we did for transferable taxes. So yeah. I'm a listener and I've got a business, didn't realize I could get an R&D tax. Mm -hmm. Who do I go to to say, how do I do this? So generally, similar to what to Peter's answer, you would want to reach out to your accountant. However, not every single accountant has a specialty practice that specializes in it. However, they may have uh, contacts with, they may have contacts with, with third-party providers. There are some firms that specifically specialize in just doing R&D tax credits, and they do it nationwide. Um, are there caps on credits? I mean, if you've got uh, uh, a $10,000 or a $200,000 uh, R&D uh, expense, can you take it all as a credit? So you can take it all as a credit. It, it'll just be a matter of uh, obviously so the, ensuring so that the, it all qualifies. There's no, there's no limit on that particular credit. There's no limit on actually claiming the credit. Though obviously, the, the issue will be utilization. So right. if, it's your, if you're going to claim a $20 million credit, but you don't have the liability that's going to justify that even on a carry forward basis, it's not necessarily going to be... I mean, obviously, you still want to claim it to eliminate it, but there will obviously be some limitations is that, there. Is that true about every credit? There's yeah, there, no there are definitely caps on a lot of credits. So, for instance, the school credit that everybody uh, is, a lot of people are uh, very enamored of, this is a credit where you get a dollar-for-dollar dollar credit for making a, a donation to a uh, effectively a private school. Uh, but there are limits. you got to do it soon. I think it's already turned out. You, you've already run out of them for Georgia. That's right. right. I think yeah. there's like 10 million allocated annually, but there's also a cap per person. I think so it's 2,500, I think is that? Yeah, I think it's 2,000 per person. If it's a partnership, it's up to 10,000. So most, uh, a lot of credits really are capped, not only at the program level, meaning, hey, we're, we're only going to allocate 10, 12 million this year, but also at the uh, taxpayer level. Okay. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We're your hosts, Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. And we're talking today with uh, Brian Sangson, manager at Bennett Thrasher, and Peter Stathopoulos, partner at Bennett Thrasher. And today we're talking about uh, using state tax credits to reduce your tax burden. Um, is, is there a reason why a, a client of yours would choose one tax credit over another? I mean, how do they pick from the menu of possible credit options? So from a transferable side, Peter, I don't know if there's a difference with what they'll choose. Sure, yeah. So there's actually, Georgia's one of the few states that doesn't have any ordering rules. So let's say you're eligible for three, four credits. Let's say you, you, you have some jobs credits because you added some jobs to your closely held business. Mm -hmm. You got some R&D credits because you did some you know, innovation around your business and you purchased some film tax credits. There's no ordering. So you, you just want to be careful that in combination you don't uh, buy more credits than you need. 
That's if, a, if you buy more credits than you need, can you carry them forward for a future year? You can. Typically, almost all of these transferable credits have a carry forward anywhere from five to ten years. So you get a little bit of, of a break, but you typically can't resell a transferable credit. Some you can, but most you can't. So sometimes you, you have situations where people just way over buy, and then they have a really bad year the next year. So you got to make sure you know there's a bit of a there's a bit of an estimate. You know, can you use these in the next five to ten years? We've talked about transferable credits. I get why they're attractive to the taxpayer. Why are the states doing them? Sure. So from a state perspective, it's a great way to attract uh, or incentivize a business activity without directly having to cut a check. So let's think about it. Other states, instead of giving a transferable credit to certain businesses like the film business, have what's called a rebatable or refundable credit. So give you an example. New York's one of these states. So if I make a film or a television show in New York, uh, and I can't use the credits as tax credits, let's say, against my New York income tax liability, the state of New York will literally cut me a check. Georgia doesn't like cutting checks out of the Treasury, so this is a way of basically foregoing incremental future tax revenues versus the Treasury having to cut a check to a particular business. So that's the appeal of it, is you're basically taking a haircut off of incremental tax revenues that arguably you would have never received in the first place versus the Treasury having to cut people checks to incentivize an activity. But the example you gave, so the $10,000 credit that the individual bought for $8,000. That's right. So the individual got a $2,000 savings. The state, however, lost $10,000. That's right. How does the state make up for that loss? Well, hopefully the state makes up for it in terms of the direct spending in the state by that film production company, as well as the ancillary spending. Uh, So most states use a a multiplier economic model, which says every dollar spent in the state is going to circulate a certain number of times. Usually it's three and a half to four times. So, you know, you pay pay a a grip or a director or... uh, a casting agent in Georgia, and then they go out and spend that money at the local uh, barbershop or restaurant or supermarket. So that money circulates around the economy. In addition to direct and indirect spending benefits, you get marketing benefits for the state. So, uh, I mean, this is anecdotal, but uh, there's a great story about Governor Deal being out in some small town in China trying to, you know, get them to uh, invest in Georgia for some kind of factory. And everybody knew, you know, who Georgia was because uh, of Forrest Gump. They were like, oh, yeah, Savannah, Forrest Gump. We saw that movie. So here's the test. What's a grip? <laughs> okay, don't tell me that. So is there is there measurement when we talk about the loss to the general treasury and you say that there's, you know, ancillary taxes <clears throat> taxes and other things that are paid do we at georgia or other states measure directly what it costs the treasury so we know there may have been you know sales tax that went to local and there may have been some marketing things but do we say if that ten thousand dollars can we measure how much we got back we do so the georgia department of economic development which houses the film office uh, directly tracks how many credits are given away and the department of revenue also directly tracks how many credits are are claimed and, and sold so we have a the, the state knows exactly how much the program is costing the state in terms of uh, tax revenues that are being for, uh, foregone. I guess. Okay, but we don't, we're not we may not necessarily be talking about lost revenue. These are these are tax credits to entities that might not have been here spending money anyway. Mm-hmm. That's they right. Might, they might never have been the income to generate in the first place. That's right. I, I think they're I think they're revenue. I think it's a haircut off of revenues you would have never gotten in the first place because you w- these people wouldn't have been here spending money. That that's one of the arguments on the industry side for why these credits are not really a direct loss to the can, state. Can can people from other states make use of Georgia's tax credits, or can Georgians make use of other states' tax credits? Absolutely. 
So, uh, you know, you could be a non-resident of Georgia and you could have a business that generates income here. So you're, you're what's called a taxable non-resident. So, uh, you know, you could buy the film tax credits or any other transferable credits. We can talk about some of the other transferable credits, which would re directly reduce your, your, your Georgia liability, even though you're a non-resident. Now, it gets a little tricky because if I live in another state that imposes an income tax, then that other state may not want to give me a credit for, for Georgia's taxes. So it gets a little tricky. It works best when you have a non-resident that has Georgia income taxes that lives in a state that doesn't impose an income tax, like Tennessee or Florida mm -hmm. or Texas. And in, in, in those states, it's a no-brainer. But the connection is you must be be earning income in the state that you're seeking the income the, the the credit. That's right, and likewise, Georgia. You could be a Georgia resident and have tax liability in a bunch of other states because of a business that you have that's a multi-state business. So you might look at purchasing transferable credits in those states. However, once again, an issue comes up. Georgia is going to tax you on 100% of your worldwide income and give you a credit for taxes paid to other states. So the unanswered question is: Is Georgia going to give you a break? for the discount that you receive in the other state if you buy a transferable credit. In other words, are the citizens of Georgia going to subsidize another state's incentive program? The answer is probably no. Yeah. You say probably. Why don't we know the answer? Well, you'd have to ask for a letter ruling. It's just not something that's in the law. Yep. Are the, um, with regard to the <coughs> non-transferable credits that you were talking about earlier, Brian, mm -hmm. the ones you mentioned are all sort of business-related. If you have a closely held business or whatever, you can, you can take these. Absolutely. Credits. Are there any that apply just to individuals? So none that I work with. Uh, most of them will be small to mid-sized businesses. And generally what we'll be doing is, from a non-transferable side, is they'll be claiming it. And if they want to have some kind of personal benefit, whether they're shareholders or partners, they'll actually have it passed through to themselves as opposed to keeping there, it at the there end There are the a couple, though, if I could yeah. jump in. So one of the great ones that nobody knows about, Georgia has what's called an angel investor credit, which basically is if you contribute, or excuse me, if you invest in a small business, startup business in Georgia, you actually get an income tax credit for that investment. So that's one that can be used by individuals who are investing in startup businesses. Uh, there's also uh, a credit for buying energy efficient property just for your house. So you get energy efficient, or your business, energy efficient lighting, washing machines, et cetera. So put, there a, are a put a windmill on your house, you can put get a windmill credit. on your house. That's right. Solar panels. Yeah. Exactly. Could, can you, or what incentives are there, if there are any, for service industries that might have a tax credit? But, you know, a professional who's giving, doing consulting work or a lawyer or an accountant, are there similar, the equivalents of R&D or other incentive credits that could pass through on a subchapter S or whatever? Yes, so there are two credits that come to mind with that, one being the jobs tax credit. And so a lot of states will have jobs tax credits where they'll incentivize you based on where you're located, uh, and so based on the number of employees that you're hiring, tracking the year over year increases, you can receive a pretty sizable credit in addition to that, and we actually see a lot of law firms with the jobs tax credit naturally because it's, it, you have to hit certain wage thresholds normally. It's a way of incentivizing quality jobs. And another thing is uh, retraining tax credits. A lot of, state offer, a lot of states offer, uh, so they prevent onboarding costs, but any time that you are bringing in new equipment or new software, so if you have a new ERP, so an enterprise res uh, resource planning tool, or anything like that. Okay, what is an enterprise resource planning tool? So, so think of it as something where you're tracking business development. So if you have any kind of internal software that you're going to be using, uh, whether it be a law firm, that is also industry agnostic because if you're training them on any kind of new software, so say also like NetSuite, which is another and tool. And when you say industry agnostic, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I need to more generalize my terms. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, so it means 
it doesn't really matter what you're doing. You can be service related. You can be you can be a manufacturer. You can be a so it's for any company. any person could do it. The whole concept of agnostic Absolutely. means that you're not identifying a specific industry to benefit. Correct. Or you don't Correct. believe in tax credits. Or you're not sure. Yeah. <laughs> you're not sure about it. Well, I know there's no prioritization in some states, <laughs> yeah. so it doesn't matter. What yeah. um, <laughs> What about uh, you mentioned uh, low income tax credits? Uh, I'm sorry, low income housing credits. Yes. Um, those are things that that individuals can invest in. You know, buy buy real Real estate, certain types of real estate, and get a credit. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I think Peter, you probably—I don't know if you have any familiar with that. Yeah, I so have dealt with it. They're another transferable credit. So we were talking about transferable credits. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm partial to the the film tax credit because because uh, uh, they're I'm, sexier. Because I'm in the entertainment industry, yeah. but the uh, Georgia also has a couple other uh, transferable credits. Another great one is the low income housing credit. The way that works is a developer. Uh, it needs to be incentivized to build a certain amount of low-income housing. So by doing that, they get a credit that flows up to basically investors. So what, what happens on low-income housing credits is you buy into a partnership and you get a K-1, but effectively it's a transferable credit. That one's a little different in that you're typically buying uh, a credit stream. So uh, a lot of time you can buy that and you're getting a 15-year a, a credit, or excuse me, a 10-year credit stream instead of, of a one-year uh, credit like the film credit. But there are brokers out there that will go out and buy low-income housing credit streams and chop them up year by year and give you a one-year strip. So in, in effect, it's a, it's, a, it's a different kind of credit that you can buy as a, as a purchaser and reduce your, your taxes dollar for dollar. Are there risks associated with uh, these transferable credits? There are. So almost all of the credits have some degree of what's called recapture risk, which means if things go bad, the state of Georgia can come back and get the money back from you. So for instance, on the film tax credit side, um, let's say... Uh, well, before you say that, yeah. what do you mean when things go bad? Sure. So a couple different ways. So I, I'll give you a real life example. We, uh, we had some clients that bought low income housing credits. And what happened is uh, the sewer, uh, the uh, sewer backed up into the units, and a lot of them became uninhabitable. So the development was no longer able to meet certain federal and state requirements that a certain number of units be set aside for low-income individuals. So the whole credit went south. What that means is basically, even though you paid for the credit and you claim the credit on your tax return, the state of Georgia comes back and says, "Well, you didn't." You're not really eligible for that credit. We're going to get it back, plus potentially penalties and interest. How long did that take to come back and bite you, the clawback? Unfortunately, for low-income housing credits, there's a 13-year tail. <laughs> so there's mm -hmm. a different risk profile. With film tax credits, it's a three-year tail. And with the low-income housing credits, it's something that the individual taxpayer really has no connection to. It's not like they have any way to monitor it or, or control it. That's right. But there's a lot of due diligence typically done on these. So I, I will say it's very rare to have recaptures. You know, I gave an example because, you know, one, one happens every once in a blue moon. A lot of due diligence is done by the banks and uh, other, other companies associated with these deals, which you're typically piggybacking off of. So, yeah, you haven't, as an individual, done a whole lot of due diligence. But with the banks some, and insurance companies who are buying the federal piece of the low-income low housing credits have done a lot of due diligence. Similarly, on the film tax credit side, these are typically audited. So one of the things my firm does, what I do for a living, is we uh, audit film tax credits so that somebody other than the seller is uh, issuing an opinion on, hey, you really spent this money and it really qualified under the law, therefore these credits are likely to stand up. Alternatively, sometimes businesses or uh, 
film production companies can go to the Georgia Department of Revenue and raise their hand and say, will you please voluntarily audit my credits? In which case, the Department of Revenue issues an audit letter and says, hey, buyer, this is what the credits are. Uh, these are after the fact or before the fact? It's after filming, but before you buy it. Mm -hmm. Before okay, so you, let, the buyer, let's buy talk it. about the timing of buying. Yep. So most of us don't think about our taxes until figuratively the day before the accountant says, if you don't give it to me, I won't do your return. You got that right. <laughs> yeah. So how do I know? So you're my accountant, let's say, and you charge me a reasonable rate, of course. Of course. And I'm sitting there on March 15th, and I've given you my information, and you now realize that I have a need or an opportunity for credits. Is that when I start thinking about it, or do I need to start thinking about it way in advance? Way in advance is a much better answer, uh, because who knows if there'll be any transferable tax credits available at that time that you want to buy them. Secondly, uh, these are markets for credits, these transferable credits, so the, the laws of supply and demand apply. So at peak times, like March 15th or April 15th, the credits are going to be more expensive than if you had bought them several months earlier. So I'm now the taxpayer. You're going to tell my listeners. And I typically talk to my accountant around tax time or extension time, but I need to tickle on my calendar when I need to call my accountant and mm -hmm. say, what's available for me? Yeah. So tell me those dates. Sure. A, a good accountant really ought to be checking in with their clients at least a couple times a year. Most uh, wealthy individuals uh, are typically paying quarterly estimated taxes. So maybe uh, at least semi-annually or quarterly, they ought to be checking in and saying, hey, how are things looking? Am I underpaid, overpaid from an estimated taxes standpoint? If I'm going to be underpaid, is there anything I can do about it? Are there any transferable tax credits or other credits that I can take advantage of? So it's best to have that conversation before you get to the fourth quarter. We're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Adam Gasowitz and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gasowitz Frankel. We are talking to Brian Sengson, manager with Bennett Thrasher, and Peter Stophilis, partner with Bennett Thrasher. And we're talking about using state tax credits to reduce your income tax burden. So any, any other risks that we have not talked about? So when you're not when when you're dealing with non-transferable tax credits, those tend to be a little bit more. You have to you have to front load a lot of money in order to actually have a study done. So say like an R&D tax credit study, those tend to be more capital intensive, depending upon the time. And there's a window in which you can go back and amend prior years, but those can be pretty expensive. And uh, it, it just honestly depends on the service provider. I would always advise clients that uh, or anyone who's looking there to to claim a credit. Make sure you find someone with a good reputation who's doing it. Uh, there are a lot of firms out there that are simply trying to churn out credits and charge you a percentage of that credit, and so you end up overpaying. And it defies economies of scale when you have that kind of contingency agreement with those credits. And so more often than not, those are ones that tend to raise the flags for an, the IRS or any other state government. Um, any any other disadvantages to the tax credits, or are they kind of a win-win for everybody? They tend to be a really good conversation to have with clients. I, I don't know if there's ever a time where you're having a conversation with them about a credit, and they say, no, I don't want to I don't want to hear about these. So when we talk about state tax credits, we're looking in Georgia, and Georgia is essentially a flat tax. It's 6%. So does, is, is that something we need to be thinking about? Because obviously, our, the payment that we're going to be doing on state tax credits, in Georgia at least, stops at 6%. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that, Peter? I wouldn't think that it, that would be something that you had to visualize that because you have a carry over, you have a carry forward benefit. Uh, obviously, you have to project revenue. So if it, if you're growing, increase uh, that credit's not always going to necessarily be available. The credit environment is always subject to change with states. I mean, I think Louisiana is one state that comes to mind that they tended to. to 
I, I think they provided too many credits and their government and actually their treasury department suffered for it and so they had to pull back a lot of credits so my advisement would be always claim a credit if it's available now maximize you, what you can absolutely yeah. and if you're yeah. going forward um and, and if you have to carry it forward for a couple of years that's fine you always do a good accountant whenever they're advising this or a good attorney or whoever is helping you with these credits uh, they'll always look at the utilization both for the current year and going forward is there any way that the state tax credits that you have, whether you're holding them in your pocket to carry forward, what effect will they have, if any, on your federal tax liability? So that's a, that's a good question. Some of the credits um, that you buy actually also give you a federal tax deduction. So I'll give an example. Georgia recently enacted a rural hospital credit a couple mm -hmm. years ago. The way this thing works is you make a donation to rural hospital organization, and the first thing that happens is you get a dollar for dollar, well, not a dollar for dollar, excuse me, you get a deduction against your federal income taxes because it's a charitable contribution. So let's say I contributed uh, $10,000 to this hospital organization. I'm going to get a deduction against my federal taxes of $10,000. Let's say I'm subject to the 37% highest effective federal tax rate. That means I'm getting a write-off of $3,700. But then on top uh, of that- Direct savings on your taxes. Direct savings mm -hmm. on my taxes. And I'm also, by the way, taking that write-off against my state income taxes, right, which is based on my federal taxable income. In addition, the state is giving me a dollar-for-dollar dollar credit against my tax liability. So in addition, I'm getting a $10,000 dollar for dollar credit against my Georgia income taxes for that donation. So I'm, I'm doubling up. So when you're evaluating to use a state tax credit, whether it be a film credit or something else, one of the questions you want to ask is, will you get a federal benefit? So if you still have the ability to use a, a charitable deduction, then a rural uh, a hospital credit at, in the abstract will give you more bang for your dollar. Absolutely. On the other hand, it may not, depending upon your tax situation. That's right. It depends on each individual's tax situation. But as you mentioned, you know, everybody's aware at this point that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. I was just getting to that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Saving I, the best for last. Right? Okay. Uh, if you don't mind me jumping in. <laughs> no, no, jump in, please. The uh, Tax Reform Act basically limited individuals' uh, ability to claim a federal deduction for their state income taxes that they pay. So that just changed the ballgame uh, in terms of planning for transferable credits. Because in the old days, uh, every credit that you bought, you more or less could claim a deduction against federal taxes for that payment because it was a state tax payment. Now only some of the credits uh, will give you a federal deduction for the, the purchase of the state tax credits. And there's a big issue as to whether the federal government is going to weigh in and in effect negate these credits. So for example, the, the federal government is really looking at some states that have these programs as whether it's an end around the federal policy of not allowing a federal deduction for state income taxes. I, I need an explanation though. I actually, I'm, this is what some states are trying to do to figure out a way to help you on state income tax deductions that you didn't get. So explain it a little slower for some of us. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you've got this situation where the federal government said, hey, effective in 2018, we're no longer going to give you a deduction for the taxes you pay to your state. And right now that number is $10,000. Yep, that's right. It's $10,000. So for many people, like in the state of Georgia, who are going to be the types of people who would take advantage of these credits, between your property tax and your income tax, you've used up your $10,000. Yeah, your, your, your property tax probably covered it. Mm -hmm. So now you're faced with a situation where every dollar you pay to your state, let's say Georgia, is no longer deductible for federal tax purposes. So that's a bad thing. So some states are really mad about this and are trying to find end-arounds, like Connecticut recently passed legislation that is very obviously an end-around this, where they're trying to create 
uh, in effect, a charitable deduction to get around this. But give us an example so we understand. Yeah. So let me give me. I'll give the Georgia example, which is not a, an end around. So in Georgia, we wanted to incentivize rural healthcare. So in Georgia, the way it works is I give ten thousand dollars to the rural hospital because it's a charitable deduction. I still get to deduct that from my state. I'm um, for my federal taxes. It's not a tax payment anymore. It's a charitable deduction. But Georgia's also giving me. A tax credit. For now, it. give me an example of an end run. Give me a Connecticut example. I'm not as familiar with that one, or, but or someone else. Yeah, Connecticut's similar in that they're creating after the Tax Reform Act was passed similar charitable deduction end arounds. The difference between Georgia and Connecticut is Georgia had this program in place years before the federal uh, government cut off the state tax deduction, and these other states are doing it post legislation. And I hope, as a citizen of Georgia, that the IRS. Well, Rec- that that. So, but, right. but every state that's got a big uh, state income tax, California, New York, mm-hmm. Illinois, a lot, a lot of states like that. That's I right. assume they're all trying to come up with something similar. They are. They yeah, are California, I think, has been chiming in a good bit about trying to figure out a workaround. Right, because their, their income taxes are so high and they're mm-hmm. no longer deductible. That's right. Yes. So, so we're nearing the, the end of our show. So I'm going to ask each of you, starting with Brian, yes. tell me your best story. So, so someone came to you or whatever, had a problem. And because of your intellect and knowledge of these uh, tax credits and incentives, mm-hmm. you were able to give them a great result. Give us a good story. So I, I uh, Tarantino a little bit because I, I alluded to it earlier with the trading company. So I had a, I had a trading company, and uh, they were they were in the process where they they had the idea that they were not going to be qualifying for a credit. It was one of those things of just kind of having to almost like force the door open of saying, "Trust me, you do. Let's look into this." And they had sizable state and federal taxes, uh, and, and and it ended up turning out to where they were almost entirely doing R and D because on the back end, everyone was developing the software, and they just didn't see it. They saw it all as administrative. This was all driving the front end of their business, which they were a stock trading company. But in essence, it was all research and development, and so they ended up claiming this. They ended up claiming a, a sizable. I want to say it was eight hundred thousand dollars in R and D tax credits. So a rose by any other name isn't necessarily a rose. Exactly. Peter, what's your great story to to entice our listeners? Well, you're, uh, I work in an accounting firm, so you're barking up the wrong tree for an exciting story. <laughs> but you work yeah. in the film part of the Right, right. but I'll, I'll, tell, Dress you, it up I'll tell you a film story. So once in a, a blue moon, I'll get invited to uh, an industry party, like some kind of premiere in, in L.A. And so, and, and uh, everyone knows you're the accountant there, right? Well, that's what's funny. So I invited my <laughs> wife, and she was thinking that you know we would be on the uh, red carpet, and we'd be in front of the wall and get our picture taken, and you know, so uh, it, it's really funny because people, you know, uh, actors and producers do come up to you, this, or they send their agents to come talk to you just in case you're a producer and have some money. And just in case can, you're important. That's right. Just <laughs> in case they can be in your next picture. But the, the minute you mention the word lawyer or accountant, they uh, they they slink away. So that, that's that, that's my story. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, all right. As we're wrapping up, let me give you each opportunity to uh, tell our, our listeners how to get a hold of you if they'd like to. Sure. Peter, uh, why don't you start? Okay, just have the longer name. Uh, so you can uh, look me up on the Bennett Thrasher website, which is www.btcpa.net, uh, or you can uh, reach me at 678-218-1396. And I assume your email address is on the website, right? It is. Okay. It is. Yeah, and so similarily- uh, And look up f- film credits, not the name. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter Stathopoulos. That'll be hard to. That'll, that's hard to Google. Yep. Uh, so Brian Sanks, and similarly with the last name, so you can find me on the Bennett Thrasher website as well. You could also contact me seven seven zero six three five five zero four one. 
Thank everyone today for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gaslowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com and remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute using our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Brian Sankson, manager at Bennett Thrasher, and Peter Sathophilus, partner at Bennett Thrasher. And please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. Mm-hmm.